Good morning, everybody. Lovely to see you this glorious Christmas morning. I wonder if you remember uh, looking back to just less than a week ago when the headlines that filled our papers said Christmas is cancelled. And with COVID and with that combined with Brexit, there's been complete chaos, hasn't there? Both of those things have filled the news, the roads around over have blocked. You might have been left thinking, what is there to celebrate? Christmas is not cancelled, of course, but we have had to cancel some of our plans to do with how we celebrate it. And alongside all of that, at least three families from our church I know are going through times of great pain and grief and loss at the loss of a loved one. And perhaps they don't really feel like celebrating. But Christmas is not about the 25th of December. That's just a convenient date to celebrate what Christmas is about, the coming of the Lord Jesus. And so whatever our circumstances, however we feel at the moment, my prayer is that we can celebrate the coming of the Lord Jesus. So as we start, let me pray. Heavenly Father, in your graciousness to us and in your love, would you help us to celebrate the joy of the coming of Jesus, however we feel, that his name may be glorified and honoured in our lives, we pray. Amen. Well, from uh, the passage that we looked at, uh, just that Nelly read for us a couple of moments ago, I'd like us to focus on two things. Two questions, really. Firstly, how can we be sure that Jesus is the promised Messiah and King? And secondly, how should we respond to Jesus? So firstly, how can we be sure that Jesus really is the Messiah King? Well, the first part of answering that we see in our passage in verse 1. Jesus was born in Bethlehem, in Judea. Now it's quite interesting, isn't it, that Matthew is so specific about Bethlehem in Judea. I have a little map on the sheet here uh, that shows that we're talking about this Bethlehem here in the south, not this one up north of Nazareth in the north, about a hundred miles away. Very specific, that. And of course, it is important that we know which Bethlehem we're going to or which town we might be going to. I was really struck by this story. Um, a Dutch student by the name of Milan Schipper, a few years ago, decided that before he went to uni, he would take a sun-filled surfing holiday in, in Australia. And so he got online, like you do, to find a cheap ticket to Sydney. And he searched and he found a cheap ticket for Sydney. And then as he searched, he found one that was 300 euros cheaper. Yes, 
I'll book that one, he said. Done and dusted. Went to the airport, boarded his flight, spent some hours watching movies, and landed, somewhat to his surprise, in Toronto, where he had a stopover and a change of flight. And as he looked at the plane that was to take him on the next leg of his flight, he's quoted as saying, the plane was really small. And so I figured, would that make it all the way to Australia? He got aboard anyway. He landed some hours later in snow-covered Nova Scotia in Canada, where there is a town called Sydney. And all he was wearing was shorts, a t-shirt, and a flimsy little jacket, ready for Sydney, Australia. See, it's important to know where you're going. But in Matthew, the main point as to why he specifies so clearly Bethlehem in Judea is not one of geography. He's so specific because he wants people to know that this Jesus is the ruler and the shepherd who we saw referred to in verse 6 when the teachers of the law quoted from Micah. A prophecy from 700 years before that the Messiah would come from this Bethlehem. The city where King David had been born. A prophecy clearly fulfilled in Jesus. A proof that Jesus is the Messiah King. So how else do we... Can we be sure that Jesus is the Messiah King? Well, he was descended, secondly, from Abraham's line through King David and his royal lineage. Now, just imagine for a minute. Don't imagine. I'll do it. I'll put on a crown. Any, anybody can tell me, what does this crown signify? Anybody know? Go on, Libby. Being a king. Yeah, absolutely. Let me put the crown on. I am now King Steve. Don't laugh. You should be impressed. I am King Steve. That means you should humble service servants do as you're told. Does it? Really? Jump up. Do a dance. Oh. You're pretty pathetic, you lot, aren't you? That's not very obedient to your king. Earlier on, I mentioned that I was now King Steve I. I was told afterwards that actually I'm King Steve II. Did you know that? There was a King Stephen. I'd missed that. Forgive my poor history. Here's the point. It's a little bit of a, a, little bit of a silliness, isn't it? You could be thinking, if he seriously thinks he's king... I'm going to go and see if I can find a passing doctor to perhaps come and take him away. You see, the royal line of succession means that I'm never going to be king. The next king will be Prince Charles, at which point, of course, he will be King Charles for something or other, probably. But you see, chapter 1 in, uh, in Matthew, which we've been looking at over the last couple of weeks, Prove that Jesus deserves the honour of being king because he comes through 
King David's royal line. So why else should we be persuaded that Jesus is the Messiah King? Well, the third reason is, if you like the stars of the story today, the wise men, referred to in our passage in Matthew as magi. It's one of the way that word is, the word is translated. We see it in verses 2 and 11. They came to worship King Jesus. Now, what do we know about these wise men, the magi? Well, the passage tells us they came from the east, doesn't say any more than that. There's quite a lot of speculation that they may well have come from what we today would call Iran. That, by the way, from this Bethlehem is something like 800 miles, I think, or 900 miles. It's a long way. Certainly a long way if you're traveling by camel, perhaps. What else do we know about them? Well, we often say there were three. We often say that they were kings. But actually, despite the traditional carol, there's no evidence for either of those things. But we do get an indication that they were educated men, or learned, as we might say. They recognised his star, it says in verse 2. Clearly an indication that they'd been able to interpret what had been happening in the skies and identify that this meant that the prophesied king of the Jews had come. They were learned enough men that perhaps they'd read some of the Jewish writings because they weren't Jews themselves. And they knew how to put those things together with what was happening in the stars. And some have speculated that the so-called star of Bethlehem was the, the perfect alignment of the planets Jupiter and Saturn, making them glow extra bright like a very bright star. I don't know if you've been keeping abreast of the news, but during this week, the so-called star of Bethlehem happened again. Jupiter and Saturn aligned on the 21st of December this year. That's the first time that's happened for 800 years. That's quite a long time, isn't it? it more recently, it, they came close about 300 years ago. And no, I wasn't there to see it, just in case you wonder. So it's possible that that star that started them on their journey was some kind of natural phenomenon like that. But notice in verse 9, towards the end of their journey, after all they'd, the, the distance they'd travelled from the east, they arrive in Jerusalem, and from Jerusalem to Bethlehem, we're told in verse 9, the star went before them. Now that has to be a miraculous event, because they were going from Jerusalem, heading south to Bethlehem. But the earth rotates from west to east. So the stars don't go from north to south, if that makes sense. A miraculous intervention that enabled them to follow the star, which pinpointed for them exactly where the Messiah lay, where Jesus had been born. So God had revealed himself through the prophet Micah and he had revealed himself 
through the provision of that star to take the wise men to Jesus. But there is a key question here that arises. Why does Matthew tell us so little about a group of men who were apparently so important? I think the answer is because Matthew wants us to see that what they came to do was much more important than who they are. Verse 3, the Magi came to worship Jesus. In fact, that fact on its own is another proof of Jesus' royalty. Learned, wise men who studied and understood the stars had clearly heard that there was a king of the Jews came to worship this Jesus in this town. And how did they worship him? Well, firstly, we're told, they bowed down. That would still be the right way to greet a king or queen, even today. Probably, perhaps, a bow of the shoulders and the head. Secondly, they gave particularly special gifts. I've got them on a picture here on the chart and on the screen for those that are in church. They came and presented gold and frankincense and myrrh. Gold, because of its value, could only be afforded by kings and represented royalty. Frankincense was a, a substance, a perfumed substance that was used by priests during the sacrifices and so represents Jesus' priestly role. And myrrh, a perfume used for treating the bodies of the dead in preparation for burial, signifying death. Can you see in those three symbolic gifts, the Magi tell us who Jesus is, the King, what he came to do, to be our priest, and what it cost him, his life. And we're reminded of that, weren't we, in the song that was sung for us earlier on. You might remember the words of the chorus when uh, Dan and Nicola sang, "'Tis the Lord, O wondrous story, "'tis the Lord, the King of glory. "'At his feet we humbly fall.'" Of course, that's us in our worship. "'Crown him, crown him, Lord of all.'" And that verse also points us to the second question that I asked earlier, doesn't it? Which is, how should we respond to Jesus? I don't know if you've ever thought about this, but Jesus always gets a reaction. If you talk to people about the Lord Jesus, they will have a view about him of some sort or another. Perhaps similar to those in our story from Matthew's Gospel. King Herod is our first character there, isn't he? King Herod the Great. Verse 3 tells us that he was disturbed. Sounds a little bit understated, doesn't it? Disturbed. The verb implies that he was troubled, he was shaken up and agitated even frightened in some translations. Here he was, 
King Herod the Great, having been appointed king of the Jews by the Roman emperor, and we're told by the Jewish historian Josephus that his political power was hanging on a thread. He was managing some really difficult things. And now on top of all of that, there's another king coming to try and usurp me. No wonder he was a tad disturbed. So he reacts angrily, doesn't he? He starts tri- trying to trick the Magi. Oh, go and go to Bethlehem and find the king. And when you've worshipped him, come back and tell me so that I can go and worship him. You know the story well, don't you? The rest of chapter 2, which you'll come to over the coming couple of weeks, tells us he had no intentions of worshipping the Messiah. He wanted to do away with him. He rejected Jesus. A bit like so many people do today. They hear about Jesus, but then they think, I don't want to hear about him. He might want me to change something. He might be a party pooper. He might spoil everything for me. I don't want him. Go away. Rejection. That's the first possible reaction. But can I suggest this Christmas, not one to copy? And then there's the chief priests and the teachers of the law. They were learned men too. They immediately knew, didn't they? When Herod said to them, where is this king to be born? They said, ah, we can refer you back to to, uh, Micah's prophecy and tell you that he's to be born in the city of David, Bethlehem in Judea. See, they knew their scriptures. But think about it. Why didn't that make them want to go and worship this Messiah? Why weren't they heading straight hotfoot to Bethlehem? They've been waiting long enough for him, after all. I think it's a sign of their indifference, you know. They knew the scriptures, but they weren't thinking straight. It was as if they were saying, well, fair enough, you can go off to Bethlehem if you like. Yeah, I know you've travelled hundreds of miles and you're very important people. They clearly believed that the Messiah had been born and yet these educated teachers, these men of the law and the chief priests, basically were just saying, don't disturb me with all that stuff. Indifference. That's the second reaction that we see so often today, isn't it? Oh, yeah, it's all right for you. Lovely. Oh, that's nice. Oh, good. But don't bother me with it. And then thirdly, the wise men. Of course, you may have heard that old adage, why the wise men worshipped Jesus. They still do. They're the example we should copy, aren't they? They travelled to find the Messiah to worship him. So in conclusion, yes, we can be confident that Jesus, this Jesus, born in Bethlehem, is the Messiah prophesied, is the rightful heir to David's throne as king. So that's the crucial question then, is how will you respond to Jesus? Would you be like Herod? Keeping up a polite exterior, but actually rejecting Jesus? Or would you just shrug your shoulders and say, yeah, whatever, and be indifferent to Jesus? Or will you, like the Magi, the wise men, 
bow down and worship the Lord Jesus. Friends, let me encourage you, wherever you are, in church here, watching on the live stream, make this Christmas, despite its difficulties, despite many of the sadnesses, make it one when you worship Jesus, the Messiah who came to save, King of glory and Lord of all.